Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel. Uh, NZ National Tuesday afternoon. Wallace with you. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, as always, uh, Georgie Stiliano and uh, Ian Taylor with me this afternoon. Now, car companies are spending almost four times more advertising large gas-guzzling vehicles, you know, your SUVs, utes, than smaller cars. That despite publicly pledging to combat Climate change. This from RNZ's Kirsty Johnson today. 40% of New Zealand's emissions come from transport pollution. What we drive, how we drive. Research shows youths emit about one and a half times as much carbon as light cars. And people are using the youths and SUVs for those short trips. So the majority of trips are less than 5Ks. About 12% of trips are less than a kilometre. So uh, to your dairy and back. Toyota says in the piece that youths meet a specific market that other models do not. With us is Dr. Lynn Roberts, a lecturer in sustainability and environmental management at Lincoln University, uh, who's followed this quite closely, this issue. Dr. Roberts, welcome. Thank you. So you're not on the side of SUVs, I understand, but you don't mind the tradies using them, am I right? There are certain functions where an SUV is is definitely the sensible thing to have. So I I think on on your program about a month ago, you had a tradie who was recognising that most of his trips were quite short and so an electric vehicle was working quite well for him. (laughs) Good memory, Lynn, that's right. He extolled the virtues of his uh, electric uh, uh, ute. Um, I understand they are pushed as tough and hard-wearing, but according to this piece, most of them use just like regular cars. What do you make of this piece? Well, uh, it confirms what you observe just walking around the streets. You can see lots of them being used as um, when we were attractors, you know, taking kids to school, all sorts of other things. So um, about 20 years ago, one of my nephews said that there should only be allowed SUVs within the four avenues of Christchurch if they had mud on them, you know, indicating <laughs> they were really being used for a, a function where you need an SUV because otherwise it's just increasing our carbon footprint as a country. It's making it harder for us to meet our our goals that we've signed up to to Paris and it'll increase the bill that we're going to pay in a few years when we fail to meet our targets. With, with, with the greatest respect, isn't that the Rimura tractor? Isn't that a bit of a cliche? Isn't that just a little bit offensive? Is, is this not market-led? This is just what consumers want, Lynn. Well, you could argue that if you didn't look at the figures for how much the car companies spent on advertising SUVs. That's one of the other items that's in the press today is about how much more they're spending on advertising their SUVs. And you certainly could see that if you look at the ads on television, that in nearly every ad break had an ad for an SUV. And they're only doing that because they've got such a much higher markup on them. They've got 40, 40 to 51% higher markup on SUVs than on regular cars. And so it's profiting the car companies to pitch them at, at customers and as you mentioned, using lots of, um, there was a very nice study a couple of years ago about what sort of imagery and so on they were using to convey that they were, you know, you were really a virile person if you had one and, you know, this is what you needed for your lifestyle, when in fact most of them are being used around town in places that a smaller car would be much more efficient and much more friendly to other car road users.
Okay. Well, we've reached out to Ford, the head of Ford, for uh, their response on this. Didn't get back to us in time, but uh, may do so by the end of the show. But uh, we have uh, Lynn Roberts with us. Let's bring in our panel. Georgie, what thoughts, comments, questions you have on this? Well, firstly, I um, I certainly pass a certain le- no, no, I do not. I have a little hybrid. Um, I definitely pass judgment when I see said uh, tractors around um, suburban parts of of cities and the like. But also, I I note that in this election campaign, Lynn, there's been a, a lot of talk about the success of um, EV sales, and I think it's James Shaw who who talks about one in two car sales for the month of June. One in two was was an EV. So, is this advertising money getting bang for buck? Well, except that the, the um, SUV sales are still very high. What the clean car discount um, program has been working really, really well in terms of reducing the average emission of the vehicles being imported into New Zealand. So it's going to be an absolute disaster if it's removed because it, it is allowing mm-hmm. the fleet to gradually become slightly more energy efficient. Um, and, yeah, so some people are making the switch to electric cars because of the discount and it certainly raised the profile of why you should get one so I think it'd be a real um, backward step if we lose that clean car discount Ian Taylor what do you make of this well I think it's easy to target the the um, car companies but you know I, I'd have to ask the people who actually buy them um, you know this it's really clear we're seeing climate change happening at an increasing rate and one of the ironies, I guess, of the advertising that's out at the moment is two young kids in a forest spying these gigantic, enormous SUVs. Now, they will be the ones who suffer from global warming and climate change. So I think there's, a, you know, there's as much a responsibility on people who are buying them for driving them around town and taking their kids to school. Do you drive you one? Know, I, sorry? Do you drive one? No, I don't. No, I've never owned one, but I, I think, you know, just the next time they drive to school and see all of the young kids there, think of the future and think of what these vehicles are doing to the future of our tamariki. Here's I one. I quite agree that they, they it's, it's, I've been absolutely shocked that they're starting to use small kids to, to imply that they're such consumerist, materialistic kids that they'd be going ooh-ah about a car mm. because of their future. But I think we can't let the car companies off too lightly because they are... We talked about the forestry industry losing its social licence to operate when all the logs came down, but these companies have been deliberately pushing cars that they know are bad for our climate because they're making more money for them. Yeah, uh, another one here. Uh, Here we go again. My God, there is no alternative to utes for towing, etc., um, well, we addressed that, as uh, Lynn says, a month ago when we had a tradie who tows a heck of a scaffolding on his electric ute and he says it's just, it's just fine. In fact, it's uh, better. But here's one for you, Dr. Roberts. SUVs also have a higher safety rating, therefore are attractive to families ferrying children around. Smaller cars, not as safe as this person's view. I think this is an underlying motivation for purchasing. It does need to be addressed. Lynn? I I agree. That's one of the marketing things about it. And what's really good about the Right Car website, so the government website where you can enter the number plate of any car, 
it now not only has the safety rating for if you're inside the car, but the safety rating if you're outside the car. And what many people buying into the thing, I want my kids to be safe, is that they're forgetting that the kids are safe while they're inside the car, but they're actually much more at risk if they're outside the car because an SUV is much more, um, there's much higher risk of death being hit by an SUV. It's much higher risk of other people being injured if you're driving an SUV. So I know it's being pushed as being a safety issue and that that many people are probably buying it for that um, reason. But if they think it through, they'll realise that it only works while their kids are in the car. It doesn't work for the community as a whole and it doesn't work for even for their kids if their kids are behind the car at the time they're backing out, for instance. Iman Wanaka says one, a huge percentage of trades have SUVs. They're not using them because they need them. They've got them because a few years ago there was stunning finance deals on them. So uh, they got them. So, Georgie, you've never been uh, in the market for a uh, one of these um, uh, as Lynn calls them, Remuera tractors. <laughs> Absolutely not. I have always had tiny little hatchbacks, and then when I had a child, um, yeah, we we got a little uh, hybrid, and it's it's absolutely fine. I have mates who are tradies and have big utes, and I I take the mickey out of them. Because there are alternatives, maybe not as cheap and as as accessible, but that'll happen. Um, But it's the people driving them around town that I have a problem with. It just takes up too much bloody room too. All right. Very good. Dr. Roberts, thanks for your time. Uh, Really interesting uh, uh, responses uh, coming through here about... uh, these are big SUVs, as Lynn said, don't have a, a, a gram of mud on them, um, so they're not really used for what they're intended to, but I guess it's they've been marketed uh, so much more. Uh, that, that interesting piece, actually, it's on RNZ site. Kirsty Johnson wrote it. Go and have a look, rnz.co.nz. Uh, to those health prices, 18 past four. Health prices are expected to lift 4%. Over the second half of this year, 5% over 2025, then around 3% in 2020, the year after. Sorry, 5% over 2024, then 3% the year after. And the fact remains that many are still locked out of owning a home. Stats NZ reports home ownership is at its lowest in 60 years. Now, banks could do more to open doors to home ownership, said uh, Grant Kimball, the chief executive of Nati Fata Orake Fairawa, uh, in an opinion piece, and that a real challenge for many is just that difficulty of getting that first step, that mortgage. So is it time for banks to give back just a bit? So what if the banks contributed a small percentage of their profits to help those who fall outside the usual home loan criteria. And Grant listed um, an organisation called Money Sweet Stop as one who could help. Money Sweet Spot, rather. And with us is the CEO and co-founder, Sasha Lockley. Kia ora, Sasha. Kia ora, how are you? Good. The writer of the article, Grant, put forward this idea that banks could commit a small percentage of their profits every year, you know, to help those who don't fulfil the usual loan criteria for, for a mortgage. In other words, there are many people who are nowhere near getting close to home ownership. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's about people having a pathway to home ownership. And at Sweet Spot, we focus on a pathway out of debt. And um, I think that the system as exists believes that people are perfect. 
and live predictable lives and want to buy a house that has been defined as a house for many generations. But I think that we need to be more flexible in the definition of a, of a house. I mean, people are trying to buy tiny homes or build on shared land and are really having difficulty accessing finance to be able to get that dream alive for them and for their family. At Sweetstock, what are the sort of things that you are seeing when people come to your clients? Mm. What do they come to you for? Yeah, so for, for Sweetstock clients, the only thing we do is help people out of high-cost debt. So we bundle debt up so that people can get out of debt and on with life. So that might mean that they're able to buy a house that without getting rid of that higher interest debt, they could never dream of owning a home. So we're helping people to keep their homes at the moment if they already have a home or have their um, first home ownership dreams stay alive. But, you know, more and more Kiwis are struggling. I think that there's a bit of a narrative around um, what it is to be a struggling Kiwi. But what I'm seeing is that it's everyday hardworking Kiwis that are struggling with their finances. And that could be meaning that home ownership is uh, um, not even a dream anymore. It feels like a different galaxy. Goodness. Ian. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it's more than more than the banks. You know, I'm lucky to own a house. And I mean, maybe the interesting thing for you, it's the first house I bought. Liz and I still live there. We got married in it. We've raised a family and are now sharing it with our mokopuna. Mm. But I also remember paying interest rates that climbed to 21 and 22%. And mm. I'm not sure how we managed it, but we did. And perhaps it was because the gap between what we earned together and what we paid out was not as big as it is today. I mean, even in my posi- the position I am in today, I would hate to have to consider buying a house. I'm not quite sure how I'd do it. Really? Mm. That's pretty significant coming from someone like you. Uh, so, Ian, what do you make of that, uh, Sasha? Yeah, I can. I completely agree. I mean, I think that um, the what I'm seeing is that people's ability to be able to save in this environment um, is um, nearly non-existent for lots and lots of um, Kiwis. And there are some great innovations out there um, to help people get on the, on the housing ladder, but I think that we definitely need to do more. And I think that the financial system as a whole needs to realise that uh, people aren't robots. They don't have perfect lives, that we do make mistakes and that bad things can happen. And that um, as a system, we need to understand all of those nuances rather than expecting people to be robots. This really hit home the other day, Georgie, when Anna Dean, she basically said, look, I'm going to put my own life on the story. I don't mind to to give you an example of how tough it is. And this, by the way, was without the bank and mum and dad. But she went to the bank as a a single person who she saved up, I don't know how she did it, but it saved up $100,000. They said not enough. She went back with one hundred and fifty. not enough. She went back with $220,000. Wow. Save without mum and dad. Then, then and only then, she could buy a house. I mean, that's what we've come to. I mean, who who really can save that sort of cash? Mm. I mean, it's. I think getting on the property ladder is just not a reality for for a lot of people. And I agree with you, Sasha, around like being more more flexible. With I suppose the banks and getting finance is is, is one end of the problem, but the other end is housing supply, cost of building mm-hmm. supplies, consenting, and all the stuff that let's be fair, New Zealand has been traditionally pretty bad at. The, I've always had this idea, and maybe this could make me a, a multimillionaire. So if you think that it could, don't steal it. Um, <laughs> but you know, we have like dating apps, and I've often thought we could have one for single people trying to match with co-investors to buy a property. And it'd be quite cool to see the banks, you know, 
taking that on as a concept because I've certainly been in that position when when I was single and I bought my own home. I got slapped with the low equity margin on my uh-huh. on my mortgage because I didn't have a big enough deposit. And I, I remember thinking, where are all my single lady friends who I can pull together our resources and, and, and buy something? So I think that type of um, flexibility, bespoke arrangements, it would be awesome to see um, a mm. bit more flexibility around all of that. Right. Yeah, Sasha? Yeah, absolutely. And there are some, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, but there is a platform that exists for exactly that oh, purpose. Well, someone's um, stolen my idea. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, I think the more people that have that idea and bring it to life, I think that the better, to be honest. So, so yeah, there are some um, startups coming to market. But again, those startups need funding. So, you know, one of the barriers for innovation in financial services is those very innovative ideas, even getting funding to start to help with housing supply or um, <clears throat> or access to innovative finance products. So I think that it's a really complicated um, issue, um, but kind of um, being open to uh, what could be rather than looking at what has been around home ownership is probably, um, I prefer we were kind of looking that way um, instead of into the past. Oh, fantastic, Sasha. Nice to have you on. Just by the way, because I uh, funny sweet spot is... Uh Fairly new. It's a fairly new initiative. Um, uh, so you deal with people who really want to sort of put their, um, collect their debts together and help them. Um, how mm-hmm. can they, I mean, how can they get in touch with you? Yep. So um, you can pop onto our website, moneysweetspot.co.nz, um, and we're all over Facebook and LinkedIn as well. But yeah, a focus on um, helping people out of debt and on with the life um, that they choose rather than being defined by the debt that they're in. Great to have you on. I hope to have you on again. Thanks very much for that. Uh, that is Thanks. Sasha Lockley, co-founder of uh, Money uh, Sweet Spot. Big response regarding the EVs, uh, EVs, including this one. Sorry, the Utes and the SUVs. Truth, you guys are judgy today. Utes are much more efficient today than ever before. Answer this. How much can you tow with an EV or hybrid, and for how far? How much wood can you get and an EV. How many bikes can you fit on the back? Just because you have no need or desire to have one, that does not give you the right to dictate what others do or have. It's like a vegan hassling a meat eater just because it doesn't sit with them. Ian Taylor. I can get three bikes on the back of my EV. Um, but I think... You know, we have to be looking long term because, you know, there's there's EVs, there's gas guzzling SUVs. And we're not being, you know, I mean, I guess everybody jumps on this, you know, your being thing. I, I you know, I think there is a, a huge role for those farmers. Truckies. They do need those until they hmm. have really good alternatives. And they're not the people we're aiming at. But, you know, long before, I've never owned an SUV, but I've had family cars chocked to the hilt, caravans on the back of an old Volvo. There are ways to do this. So um, I, th- I think it's more the bigger picture. Do you really need one of these? Okay. And when you're thinking about that, think of your kids. 27 past for the panel RNZ National. Nice to have your company. Well, it turns out you don't really want to talk about uh, politics because you kind of agree with Georgie and Ian that it's a bit dull, but you do want to talk about how you first met. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a big response. Um, Lee in Mount Manganui says, We first met on Tinder. Seven years and two kids later, still going strong. Another one here. Uh, we first met at Opera in the Park. Thousands of people, and we met when I spotted this gorgeous-looking girl, have now been married for 26 years. Some wonderful love stories coming through. So this is the second part. We had such a response to 
um, your wedding proposal stories. So I thought we'd go to this. Um, how did you meet at a bar on a cruise ship waiting in the queue? With us from Palmerston North is Steve. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. How, what's your story? I was a builder and I had a builder's back in those days and um, part of the remedy, my physio said I need to take up yoga. So I said, okay, so I went and uh, couldn't believe my luck. You know, there was many women to two guys in those days. And what happened? And, uh, well, in those days, we, uh, well, we still do actually, we uh, we celebrate our hard work by going to the pub afterwards for little drink and a few chips and stuff and uh, my now wife um, she was an ecologist and I was a very um, avid trout fisherman and she used to call them river possums and so uh, and, and, that, and, that created great debate yeah <laughs> and and, <laughs> and Steve can I can I and, and what did the sparks over time fly Oh, they flew very quickly. Yeah, yeah right. It was, an, uh, was amazing. Like, I'd, I'd just come out of a really bad marriage uh, for about five or six years, um, wasn't even contemplating, and um, we actually knew we were going to marry each other within two weeks. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's wonderful. It a, yeah, it was just something I never believed in until it happened. Yeah. yeah. Love, and love finds a way, doesn't it, Steve? It sure does, and 21 fantastic years later, oh. we're still together. Oh, Georgie, gorgeous, huh? That's awesome. That's such a great story. Do you still do yoga, Steve? Yes, I do, um, and so does my wife. Um, <laughs> and I took up karate as well. So Bloody good on you. They, 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 they both match very well. You're on a roll, Steve. Thanks for being with us. So that's Steve, found his wife at yoga uh, because he had a builder's back, physio recommended, and then again, next minute, love. With us now uh, from Mahia, Hawke's Bay, Tracy. Kia ora, Tracy. Kia ora, Wallace. All right. How do you meet your husband? Um, we were both ended up on the same um, fish truck on the back, um, sitting there waiting for the fish truck to leave Lake Tanganyika and travel south towards the Malawi border. And he was there with his mates that he'd been travelling around East Africa with, and I arrived with my friends, and yeah, we had about 11 hours sitting on the back of an open deck truck with, you know, supplies, locals, and um, produce, and... Not to say that we actually spoke to each other the whole time, but there must have been some sort of eye contact and ended up at the same place the next few nights and days. So we, um, we yeah, something sparked. And it went from there, from East Africa in 1991, and yes. the rest is history, Tracy. Yes. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful, Sir Ian, the way... Such a great story. Yeah. Hey, Ian, I'd just story. like to say, I'm, um, I live, I was brought up, lived, raised in Pootsaddy, just up the road from where oh, you co- were come born in Roponga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hub of the world. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Tracy. <laughs> rock. <laughs> that's, that's such a cool story. Um, Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. All right, that's... Uh, we, have, we have three three gorgeous children who think oh. it's... Um, Pretty out the gate too. I think that um, it's, it's mum and dad have such a story. <laughs> That's awesome. Story. Have you ever been back to Zambia? No, no, we haven't. No, it's um, yeah, I haven't travelled 
back to Africa at all, actually, which is something I thought I would have done. But um, yes, got got busy doing life here Absolutely. in Aotearoa. Yeah, wonderful, Tracy. Kia ora. That's Tracy from Nice Mahia. talking to you, Tracy. Yeah, <laughs> lovely stuff. So uh, Tracy there uh, met her husband in Zambia on the back of a truck transporting fish from the bottom of Lake Tanganyika. And Stephen Palmy found his wife at yoga. How did you first meet Kim for coming? 2101. It's 28 to 5. It's time for headlines.